Good Thursday, everyone. Welcome to the VolQuest.com mailbag edition of the podcast brought to you by our good friends at Blue Water Climate Control. Be sure to check them out online at BlueWaterClimateControl.com or on Twitter at BlueH2O underscore climate. Your heating and air system is the largest user of energy in your home. If not maintained, you risk sacrificing indoor comfort, increased power usage, higher repair costs, and premature equipment replacement. Choose a quality contractor that performs preventative maintenance and not just a cursory inspection. At Blue Water Climate Control, we follow a quality maintenance standard written and approved by industry leaders. Give us a call today at 865-299-2290 or visit them online at bluewaterclimatecontrol.com to book your appointment. Jumping right into the questions, out of the gate we go. Outside of Rodney Garner, who would have the best recruiting prowess? Also, how long will the NCAA keep pushing the dead period back? Uh, for me, in terms of the first question, uh, I think it's I think it's maybe Brian G. Mary from from Michigan, the linebackers coach. When you look at his recruiting success, he might be the guy that I say is the um, most well thought of or well known recruiter at the Power Five level that's on the staff outside of Rodney Garner. Am I missing somebody? No, I agree with you. Uh, I think that you know that he makes the most sense at ten years at Louisville, Texas, than USF. So he's got a, 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 at least a a thumbprint down in this this neck of the woods. Um, it did a nice job at Michigan this past year. Um, so yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree. I think Tim Banks carries weight, um, but I, I think that you hit the nail on the head. Those are the top two. Rob, in terms of the dead period, I know you talked in the world of basketball. Of course, this pertains to football as well. Pushing this thing back to to the end of May. I know there's hope that it gets going June first. You think it gets going June first? No. I'm, I'm I'm just pessimistic. I mean, here, here's where I am, Bob. Like, you've got Fauci, who's the authority on all this stuff, and he's saying you're gonna ever you know that by by delete by political thread, delete political thread. Yeah, by June and July, you're going to have everyone in the United States that wants to have the vaccine will have had the option to have the vaccine. At that point, I think people are still going to get pushy. I think there's going to be this loud cry from a ton of people about that dead period. I think people have been really cognizant or, uh, you know, you know, of, you know, or cognizant, I mean, of, you know, the fact that the pandemic's still going on, people are still getting sick. But once that that vaccine's out and about, and if it is truly been offered to everyone that wants it, you know, I think that you're going to see a more of a bull in the China shop from prospects, prospects, parents, coaches, everybody involved. More pressure on the NCAA to lift. Until then, I agree. I mean, I just, I mean, so what if prospects put pressure on the NCAA? I mean, that's, that's not going to have anything, it's not going to affect the CDC or anybody at all. And I'm just pessimistic. I'm not impressed. I mean, I don't want, God, I mean, I, I, I hate politics, but I'm, I'm not impressed with the rate of distribution and the way everything's happening. So I'm, I'm not, I'm not optimistic that it gets lifted June 1. Yeah. I don't know what's going to happen. Um, I know there's some, a lot of hope that, but there was a lot of hope that it was going to be lifted April, April 1 as well. And it didn't. So we'll see what happens uh, moving forward and, and where things look um, from a number standpoint and CDC and all that, because they will dictate it over whatever the NCAA thinks or anybody else out there thinks at any college or level, conference level, or even the, the parents' level as well. All right, let's go on to our first Ty Simpson question of the podcast. We knew there'd be a few of those today. Um, say Ty commits elsewhere on Friday. How do you balance going all in on a player like Sam Horn and still recruit Ty Simpson? Do you think Ty will come to a game or two at UT this fall regardless of where he commits, Austin? 
I don't think you do. I think you go all in on Sam Horn. I think you move on from Ty Simpson. I, I, that's how I feel. I don't think you can – you know, they've been so so heavily in on Ty Simpson this whole time, and, and the last staff neglected all the other quarterbacks. Um, I don't think you can you can kind of, you know, have one foot in, one foot out. I think you've got to go all in on Sam Horn. Let him become your guy. If he commits, that's your guy, and, and you – and you ride with it. Ty made his decision at that point. And, uh, you know, it'd be different if Tennessee didn't have a, a really good second option, but Tennessee does have a good second option in Sam Horn. And so, you know, that's just kind of where I'm at. Like Tennessee has made Ty Simpson priority number one. He's had his time to be the guy. If he pulls a trigger for somebody else, you know, it, it, then I think it's, it's time to make a move on Sam Horn and, and, and go all, all in on him. And here's why, because at the end of the day, Brent, you know, as well as I do, that, you know, kids know what's going on out there. So I don't think you can just like secretly in, in a covert manner continue to recruit Ty Simpson and have Sam Horn committed. And then if Ty wants to come later, say, oh, sorry, I'm going to take Ty Simpson. I don't think you can go that route because what happens if Ty said, yeah, I'm actually going to stay with Clemson or Alabama or whoever he picks. And then Sam Horn's like, wait a minute. Now, I, I was your guy. I, you know, you know, forget this. I'm going to go look around myself. You put yourself in a tough spot. Well, it's different. It's, it's, it's not the day and age of Brandon Stewart and Peyton Manning where the two didn't know each other, you know? And, yeah, and, you know, I mean, it's just, it's just different. You can't, like you say, I mean, you, you gotta be, you gotta be open and transparent with, with everybody in this day and age in recruiting because they all know each other. They all follow each other and know what's going on via social media and all of those things. Um, next question. Do you think there are players on the team that would have transferred if Pruitt was still the coach, Rob? I, mean, I think we're seeing more kids who transfer because he's not the coach than, than the other way around. I mean, just from, from my perspective, I mean, he, I mean good gracious, didn't Tennessee lead the country and kids in the transfer portal? Yeah, I mean, I think there would have been some guys who are probably still on this team that might not be on this team if this co previous coaching staff was still here. But there would be a lot more guys on this team that are not on the team who have transferred out if the coaching staff were still in place. That's the way I look at it. Um, next question. Now that some time has passed since the coaching transition, a couple of questions looking in from a retrospective standpoint, why did the secondary struggle so badly this last year, given that Pruitt was known for his secondary coaching and defensive X's and O's and the Pruitt Ansley combo in the secondary was thought to be a strength of the coaching staff with regards to the lack of adjustments to cover the middle of the field, lack of secondary development. What were the root issues of the struggle there? I know they missed Nigel warrior, but why couldn't Pruitt and Ansley get more out of that unit? Um, secondly, Austin, you have mentioned that the chemistry among Pruitt's staff in year three was especially bad. What were the root causes of this very poor chemistry? I know there's significant coaching turnover between years two and three, in addition to the curveball of COVID, but how did the staff chemistry go in the tank so drastically and so severely? All right, uh, Austin, you want to take question two first? Staff chemistry? Well, I just, I just, I think there was a disconnect there amongst a handful of coaches. I'm not going to go into who. I just don't think that's fair. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, Jeremy Pruitt and his staff aren't here anymore. And so everybody that wants to continue to throw dirt on the grave, you know, I mean, it was, and I guess you could say that I did that last week when I brought up the, the lack of chemistry, but I was more explaining the fact that, you know, this chemistry and, and everything can be better and, and what's it worth, you know, on the field to Tennessee next year. So, you know, I, th there was a disconnect there amongst some coaches. Um, and you know they are no longer here, so that's kind of words. That I mean, but was was the chemistry ever good in three years? I mean, go back to the Tyson Helton 
mean, that, well, I think I mean, it was much better in year two. I, you know, I, I think the only disconnect there dynamic and or the Tyson Helton dynamic. And, um, you know, and that was because, you know, Jeremy just didn't like what Tyson was doing and he meddled on the offensive side of the ball a lot. Um, you know, in year two, I, I thought their staff chemistry was way, way better. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it was better because I think Pruitt was more mindful of, of things in, in year two. I think the, the office hours were better. I think there were a lot of things that yeah, um, that, that were just better in terms. And that was where we talked about his growth in year two. And then I think because of COVID, and I'm not making excuses for him, but I think because of COVID, I think because he of went in some of the other direction in year yeah, three. He, he, went, he went back the other, the other way. As for the secondary struggles, um, I, you know, maybe that's COVID. Some of that was COVID related. Yeah, they missed Nigel Warrior, but that that unit, Rob, just didn't get any better. They just they didn't have a, they didn't play very well. And it wasn't just the the secondary guys. I think you got to throw the linebackers into there as well. Maybe it's because they couldn't get to the quarterback. Bottom line is they couldn't cover the middle of the football field all season long. Period. Yeah, and I and I thought that having Bryce Thompson and Wante back, you know, as two guys who had played a ton, a ton of snaps since their freshman year, we would really free them up to be creative in, in, you know, in the middle of the field and kind of compensate for not having an experience like Nigel, but they were, I mean, they were just bad. I, mean, I, I don't, I don't X's and O's wise. I don't know how to break it down for you, but personnel, personnel wise, they, they were just not good. No, they were not on to cozy's question here. He's got a sled full. So we're going to work through them here. <laughs> uh, biggest weakness on this team, linebacker depth, defensive back or what I'm going linebackers. I just don't think they have any bodies there. Y'all may disagree. My second would be offensive tackle because of the unknowns at that position. That would be my two. Agree. Anybody else? Agree? I mean, besides the, the defensive back depth, I do think I, – I don't think they're that bad in the secondary, but they're an injury or two away from being rough. Well, linebackers is potentially scary to me. Yeah. All right, number two, we'll uh, throw this one. Uh, one of you guys can take this one. Biggest need from a leadership perspective on this team. Is anyone stepping up at this point, including coaching? Yeah, I don't know what – I mean, I don't know what a need for – I mean, yes, this team needs leadership, but I, I don't know what, what that means. I mean, holding each other accountable. Um, you know, I, I wonder who's going to be the voice of the defense, who's going to lead this defense, who's going to be the voice of the offense. And I think that's just a given any time that you're having to turn over because things are going to be so different from a coaching standpoint than it was previously. So I think that changes some of your leadership stuff as well. It's clear Elante Taylor's trying to be a leader. I think he's got to probably play better on the field in order to be the leader that everybody wants him to be from a vocal standpoint. Um, and then we'll see offensively. Do, does does Caden Mays take on a leadership role? Or is there somebody else? I, I don't know. Um, question three, what can Heupel do in your opinion to get the fans engaged, fired up prior to the season? Assuming fans are going to be allowed to attend, I don't know what you can do because I don't know. I don't know before before the fall if things are going to be drastically different. You know, I mean, you know, in a perfect world, you know, you do have the big orange caravan again to get let people get to know Josh, and and, and I would take multiple staff members on that, and not you know, and, and let them get to know your your your, your coaches. Um, and, and in a perfect world, everything's open. And, you know, you allow more access to your team. And, and that don't mean you, you know, the media can just come in there and run roughshod, but, you know, it more than what it was. And, and you let people get a feel for the players, let people get a feel for, 
the the team and how they're doing and 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 you know just kind of you know be more of an open book than you know um a, a secret society rob this guy's got two basketball questions but before i get to them i want to ask you this is this just a situation where Tennessee fans have been beat up for 10 years that it's about what you look like on the field rather than how you market yourself prior to ever playing yeah, a game? I mean, I, 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 mean I, I think there's no shot at just, you know, making fans feel, feel great other, by doing anything other than winning football games. Now, some, some are going to be all in just because they're all in. They've been all in on every coach that comes, and, and some others are going to be – take a much more wait-and-see approach, I think, because of what they've done and what's gone about them for the last 10 years and what they've had to deal with, uh, with the, you know, with the ups and downs and more downs than ups with this football program. All right, two basketball questions. Will this team be healthy come tournament time? Who's your point guard for this team, Rob Lewis? I mean, I mean, aside, you know, Pons has got a little knee thing. I'm not sure how I, – I don't think Josiah looked like he was completely back last night. Um. But yeah, I mean, I think, my, you know, considering to, you know, based based on how everybody is this time of year, yeah, this team's gonna be healthy. And point guard, I mean, they just don't they don't really have one. I mean, I'm not. I mean, they're gonna play three or four different guys there every night. It's you know, Jaden. Jaden kind of closed the game out there at, at Vanderbilt. Um, Santiago would would never be my point guard. If I'm coaching this team, he's always played off the ball and, and looking to get up shots, and he's not starting, which he's not for the last three games. Um, I would say Jaden and um, and Keon, even though he, Keon had six turnovers last night, those two guys, to me, are the, are the, the most explosive, creative guys that they have at point. They can, they can beat people off the dribble, and Jaden in particular is a facilitator, but. I don't think point guards are strength in this team, to put it mildly. Yeah, interesting. Rick Barnes said Monday night on Vol Calls that he thinks Jaden Springer should be the, the best point guard on this team, is the most talented point guard on this team. But you got to want to play point guard to be a point guard, which I thought was an interesting kind of shot that he threw out there and in indicating that Jaden Springer really didn't want to play point. No, I don't think – I mean, I think his – You know. You know, I mean, I think his focus – I mean, since he's been – Seven years old. I mean, the way he identifies himself as a basketball player is as a scorer, and I mean that's his DNA. I mean, he can. I mean, he can. He can do a lot of nice things as a point guard. I mean, he's. I mean, he, he is, in my opinion, Tennessee's best point guard. He's also Tennessee's best shooting guard, and that's what he is in his mind. Well, he could play both, in my opinion, because you can score from the point position in a variety of ways. So I, I would, I think, I would somehow convince him, "Hey, be the point guard. Yes, you can still score twenty a night, uh, but but also get some assists for this team as well." Um, following the hypo hire, Austin said he was not known as a dogged recruiter, and we know Central Florida did not recruit four and five star players. Yet he's obviously been working aggressively since his hire with Ty. Is there evidence of that intensity with James Horton, Miller, Wade? other important high-end players in the class of 22, Austin Price. I mean, they're hitting those kids up. I mean, I don't, you know, I mean, are they sitting on the phone with them for hours on, on end? I don't think that's the case. But, you know, I, I think that he's understanding, you know, and then, you know, and I think that, you know, it, he understood when he got here. It was going to be a different level of recruiting. You know, is it, it, you know, is it the same as, you know, what he's used to? No, not at all. I mean, it's just you recruit a different kind of kid at each level. I mean, you know, Jason Simpson recruits a different kind of level of kid at UT Martin than, 
you know, the coach at MTSU does versus the coach at Tennessee. So um, I think when he got here, I think, you know, it was, you know, I won't say an eye-opening experience, but I think, you know, just knowing how much you've got to kind of hit the ground running and be on top of things, um, you would never have had to have done that when you got to UCF. Brandon wants to know, has there been any feedback, player feedback to off-season workouts with the new strength and conditioning staff? It's been about three and a half weeks. What are your thoughts on Hypel's first month on the job? If we took pace of play out of Hypel's offense, do you think his scheme play calling could win games? Is his offense hard to prepare for? Um, I, I don't have a ton of feedback with the strength and conditioning staff. I think they all obviously wanted AJ Artis to be around. He's still around, still running things. You see the video stuff that's put out there. I know this. Every player is going to tell you they've worked harder than they've ever worked. Yeah, before. I was going to say, Hubbard, I've heard, I've heard that they've never worked this hard. Yeah, I mean that's that's just a that's just a given. Uh, and you know, we'll see what this team looks like. You know, physically in in springtime, they've had about a month or so here, six weeks with their off season conditioning. I, I, I'm not. I mean, kids aren't quitting the team. Nobody's running off at this point. So it seems like that that Coach Heupel and his staff have have blended in well. I know that they have reached out to try to create a personal relationship with those guys. And that leads me into the second part of his question. My thoughts on Josh Heupel, you know, it's taken him longer to put a staff together, Austin, and I anticipated that it would, but I do think he's worked really hard at trying to engage the current players and, and to kind of get them uh, all in to what they're doing and buy in and believing. He's obviously worked the recruiting trail and he's put a staff together, but he's probably focused more time on the current players than I anticipated he would when he took the job. Yeah, I agree. And I think that, you know, I don't know if that's, you know, just kind of his method of coaching or maybe he understood after having met with them that they needed to be built up. And and, and I, I do think that is the case. I think that this group of kids needed to be loved on, needed to be built up. He's done that. They're doing different team exercises. They do that like Army or Marine type stuff earlier in the week. They've done other things um, where they're just having fun, fun besides the dodgeball. Um, obviously we talked about them watching uh, the Super Bowl over at Neyland Stadium together. So like, I think they're just spending more time together and, 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 you know, just building them up from a confidence standpoint, loving on them. And I think that goes a long way with just kids in general. Yep. I agree. Rob, do you think nuking the program was about money or the university thought this, it was the best option? Money. I think, was it the only option? No, I don't. Got, mean, I think it was. Got, I think that was the biggest 50, factor. If you got fifty violations, is that your only option? I think that's the biggest factor. I mean, I'm, I'm maybe I'm cynical, but I, I think if they didn't know Jeremy thirteen million dollars, that they wouldn't have turned over every rock that they turned over. See, I agree with that, and that you know everybody like there's been this debate when that gets set on the board. They're like, oh, so they were just supposed to ignore it. Yeah, at other schools, I'm not saying they would have ignored it, but like they wouldn't have dug as deep, dude. Like they would have dug with a spoon and found what they needed to find to slap them on the wrist and then moved on. The Tennessee went in there with a backhoe and dug up everything. And, and a part of that's because, you know, Jeremy, again, had made some enemies. They were ready to move on from him. And the best way to try to alleviate that $13 million was to do what they did. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I think Jeremy had really – I think Dondi Plowman had really soured on Jeremy and he had no allies in, in – at that on, on the academic side of the administration. If Tennessee was eight and two and, and Jeremy had no enemies, I don't think that this would have been to the scale of what it was. I, do you not agree with that, Brent? Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't, I mean, I, what, you, you make a great point about how much would they have dug. I mean, I, I think. I'm not that, saying they would have ignored it. I'm just saying like, you know, 
Um, Going to the links they have done. I just wonder if you got in, if you got into it, that it was, it was easy to find some of the stuff that they found. You know, yeah, I mean, maybe. I mean, that, that's about I mean, you, know. you know, when when you hear stuff like, you know, there were some cell phones that were confiscated that had seventy thousand text messages from a staff member to somebody in in the recruiting office. Makes me think there's a whole lot of stuff, you know, in there. So I don't know. I mean, um, I do think it would have been handled differently um, had they been winning and had there been better relationships than than what there were over there. Um, can you compare, contrast, and rank the rosters inherited by Kiffin, Dooley, Butch, Pruitt, Heupel, respectively? Look, Josh Heupel's inherited the biggest mess because he's got NCAA issues over overall of everything. Is his roster good? No, it's it's not good. Uh, was Kiffin's roster better? Yes. Um, was Dooley's roster better? Uh, yeah, because they had a quarterback in Tyler Bray, probably. Um, I, I think Heupel is inheriting the worst situation because of the transfer portal, losing the players that you lose, and also the fact that you get the NCAA cloud over your head. That's that's my opinion. Um, also, how do you think the support staff size scope for Pruitt will compare to what Heupel will get? It was big news how Fulmer and Pruitt scaled up the behind-the-scenes staff to unprecedented levels. Do you think Heupel will get a similar chance? All the money we're saving on assistant coaches' salary, they could probably add a whole third shift of workers to film, study, and sending out uh, recruiting stuff. I, I don't know about all that saving money because you're paying Jim Chaney not to coach. You're, you're paying a good number of people um, on your staff. They're just not here working. I don't think they're going to scale back, though, Austin, uh, the level of support that they get behind the, you know, behind the scenes. I, I don't think that it's going to be a smaller staff in the recruiting office or support staff or anything like that. Well, I think the recruiting office has, has got a lot more experience in it than what mm -hmm. it has. You know, I mean, you know, Danny Stiff had plenty of experience. JT had been with the Dolphins. But outside of that, the rest of those were kids. You know, you look in there at Scott Altizer, Brandon Lawson, Trey Johnson, uh, the guy that they brought from Missouri. All those guys have, you know, a, you know, several years' experience, even if it's just three or four. I mean, Altizer's got, you know, a lifetime of wealth and knowledge. Um, but, you know, I, I just feel like that is more a, a deeper uh, staff than what than what the previous staff had. What do you AP, see? Go ahead. I just want to add, do we have any clarification on Derek Ansley? And, I mean, he, is he owed anything? I know we talked about this last week. I mean, he just, just kind of left. I don't want to say no. I think he just walked away from it. Yeah, I don't that's think. What I, that's what I think, too. Yeah, I don't think he's owed any money. I think he's just, I'm out the door. Leave me alone. I'm gone. And don't, don't contact me about talking to me about anything else moving forward because I'm done and, and off to the NFL. And I think he was planning on going to the NFL the first opportunity uh, that came about. And then when Brandon Staley got that job, it was a no-brainer that that's where Yeah, they were close. Yeah. Where do you see guys like Morvin Joseph and Bryson Easton getting a look in this new defense? Will Whitehead uh, move to defense? I think Morvin Joseph plays defensive end, um, you know, uh, especially if he adds any weight in the offseason. I, I think Bryson Eason, I, I think, is probably headed for defensive end, too. I mean, he's a big boy. Who was the last one he said? Lilith Whitehead? Yeah. I don't know. That's a good question. I, I think it, you're going to move somebody, whether it's move D back with or, or, or Whitehead, um, you know, from that running back. T. Hodge? I don't see him moving T just because I, I – he, he was never a big – he never played a lot of defense at Maryville, and whereas, like, you know, Whitehead played a ton of linebacker in Georgia. I think they start them all out at, at running back in the spring. 
and then first move. week or so, and then sort it out from there. I think that's their evaluation. Of those well, guys. I think that's what you should do. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any any doubt about that. Uh, how big of a issue was player development with the last staff? Two things, okay, for me. Year two, player development was really – even year one, but year two, player development was really good. You cannot look at that defensive line and not say that that was a better group of guys in year two than they were in year one. Okay, Matthew Butler got better. Um, Middleton played better, certainly. So some other guys along the way, along that defensive front, played better. Uh, and played their best football at the end of season two under Jeremy Pruitt. They did not develop in year three because they didn't have a football coach. Okay. I mean, they, they made a change there and no offense, Jeremy Pruitt, he's not a defensive line coach. Clearly the development of the linebacker position didn't was, was a drop off once Kevin Shearer left um, that there was, I mean, Brian Niedermeyer was learning on the job there and that, and the linebacker position did not develop. Well, I don't think there's any doubt uh, about that. Um, so, um, I, I don't, I, I think development was an issue in year three, partly due to COVID and partly due to some of the staff changes. That's what I believe is, is what it ends, it ends up being. All right. Hunter wants to know. I throw wide receivers in there too. I mean, even it's, you know, I, I think COVID had a lot to do with it and it's tough to develop freshmen, but I think since he had some talented freshmen and other than Jalen Height, none of those guys did much for anything. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, it's been mentioned that the new staff may value agility on the offensive line more than the last staff did. If that's the case, who are some of those guys on the roster that could benefit from this? And who are some that will need to work hard on that aspect of their games? Seem mostly we're built to maul over people. I think we talked about it on, on the podcast, maybe on Tuesday. There's going to be some guys have to drop some weight, get themselves in better shape. Uh, when, when you're talking about Darnell Wright, um, I think Karon Calbert is athletic, but he's going to have to get himself right and get himself in, in good shape uh, that way. Um, and some of these guys will benefit, Rob, from just a fresh start, you know, J just a new guy who, who clean slate and, and see what happens that way. I, I think that happens invariably whenever you got a new staff coming in. Yeah, I think I think Karon is one of those guys, but if you're just talking about body type, I, mean, I don't see anybody on this offensive line necessarily that I would really call nimble. Maybe – Maybe Cooper at, at center, but I don't. I mean, I don't see a lot of uh, dudes that I would say are, you know, quick-footed. You know, just kind of big, rangy guys. I mean, I, I think they're they're mostly maulers. I, I I agree. I mean, I, I do think that, that the offensive line is set up more for that. Um, you know, I do think there's some guys move. I think Carbon moves better than people think. Um, you know, K. Ron and, and Darnell. I think Darnell honestly is more athletic than people think. He just got to get his weight in check. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think both those guys are athletic. I mean, Karon was a, was a really good high school basketball player, but both those guys weigh three hundred and thirty plus pounds. And look, and how, how nimble can you be? And if you're going to play in this fast paced offense, you're going to have to be in better shape. And to be in better shape, they're going to have to drop some weight. I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, given eighty whites' uh, thoughts towards game day experience and marketing, do you foresee? Kneeling becoming like other college stadiums with LED light shows and that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, why not? I mean, I think that's kind of the trend where everybody's going. I mean, there'll be something there. I'm, I've said it from the get-go. I'm not a fan of what Alabama does. I, I wish the NCAA or the SEC would step in and kind of, um, you know, that, that's a real home field advantage. Um, that's Georgia's doing it too. Right, that's artificial noisemakers. I mean, if you're going to do that, 
then, then Mississippi State ought to be hand, handing out cowbells to everybody as they walk in. I mean, you ought to be able to do pretty much whatever you want to do because during a TV timeout, if you're trying to communicate to your team, it's pretty distracting with, with, with what their stuff's doing, which is fine. Let's just take everything off the table, right, and just let it – just kind of let it do whatever it wants to do. It, it's ironic that artificial noisemakers, Rob, are banned, but light shows are not. So I, I just think you gotta you got to quit – Quit with that. If you're going to do the light shows, that's as distracting as a noisemaker. So just let it go. If you want to pipe in B noise at Georgia Tech, pipe it in, you know, and, and be as distracting as you want to be because that's what the, you know, that's what those light shows are doing as well, in, in my opinion. Not that I hate them, but yeah, I mean, I think Tennessee will look in and needs to look at improving their game day atmosphere. I know Austin's talked about that. I don't disagree that they're, they've got to get some things going in a, in a more, um, aggressive direction with their game day marketing and their game day atmospheres. Um, that that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not a fan of it at all. I mean, I'm, I don't, I, I, I'm probably would come down softer on the side of it being a competitive disadvantage, but just aesthetically, I don't, I don't love it at, at all. I mean, I'm not, if I'm an Alabama fan, I'd rather listen to a 32nd clip or watch a 32nd video clip of Bear Bryant in a pregame locker room and, and watch that, that light show crap. Yeah, I don't disagree there. Um, Austin, will UT assign one player in the recruiting department to evaluate portal players now that's making up 10 to 20% of your class, kind of like NFL teams do with assigning people to the draft versus assigning free agency? How do you handle the portal? Well, yeah, I think this. I think you do have somebody or, or you know, uh, a time where you, you know, you, you evaluate kids that, that go in. Um, but, yeah, I think somebody will be placed in charge of that. I don't know who it will be, but, you know, um, I do think that that makes total sense. And I know that's something that the last recruiting staff was, was, was going to do. Um, they, had a, they had a board of portal guys that they were, you know, kind of like you just, you know, like you have your board of recruits, you know, with each position. They had a board of portal guys. So I would venture to say every – school in the country is doing that because that's the new wave. Yeah. Uh, Rob, after watching this season's basketball team and some very disjointed performance, it appears to me that Rick Barnes is much better developing raw talent, Schofield Williams, Bone Bowden, than he is at merging the talent level of Johnson Springer in with established talent, talent like Pons, Fulkerson, James. Does that make sense to you? Well, I mean, I disagree. I mean, I think if John Fulkerson was playing like a first-team All-SEC player, nobody would, nobody would think that. And I, I think, I man, I hate to put that on the kid, but I, I think that's the I think that's the story of this team, is that they have not been able to rely on on their senior, and he's not at any point in time this year looked like the kid who, you know, was a, averaged 16 points a game last year in SEC play, and no, I don't I don't think it has anything to do with blending in the freshman. He's he's blended in Jaden Springer pretty well in the last three weeks. Looks like to me. And he blended in some pretty good freshmen at Texas through the years as well. It's not like it's his first run with, with recruiting high profile. Again, I mean, I, I hate well to put it on – I hate – I don't mean to throw John Fulkerson under the bus. Or, I, mean, I, I, I love the kid. I respect everything he's done. He's – you know, the, the progress he made from when he was a freshman to, to what he did last, last spring is, is as good as, you know, what Grant did, what Admiral did, what Jordan Bowe did. But I think this year and it is all about him. I'm sorry to say. That's that's my opinion. Austin, what's the status of Dallin Hayden? Uh, I know he wants to take visits, but what is our standing with him? I think he's as important as Ty is as a recruit. What do you where's Tennessee with Dallin Hayden? 
I agree. I think those two are, are kind of one A, one B, because I think that, you know, if you look at Ty, what's Ty become? Ty's become like Cade was late in his in his deal. And not I don't mean like the recruitment, but like he's become like a lightning rod. Look at the general's quarters. It's Ty, 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 Ty. Eventually Dallin, because he's Aaron Hayden's kid and such a coveted prospect, will get similar you know attention with with the, the threads. Um I, I would still pick Ohio State as the team to beat for Dallin Hayden. Oh. I, well, I'm just trying to be honest with everybody. Don't want to lead anybody on. Um you know, I mean, Notre Dame's a factor, but I I don't think they'll be a major factor in the end. I mean, I think there'll be somebody that's in it um, for for the entire the, the entirety of the process, but I'm not sure he meshes up there. And uh, I think a lot of it will come down to, you know, you know what Tennessee decides to do and how hard they decide to go on Dallin. I mean, they've been in constant contact. He likes Josh Heupel a lot. He knew Josh Heupel as a younger kid when Josh recruited Chase. So, you know, that – this is a you know a feeling out process with Jerry Mack as he's just now getting to know him. But yeah, I agree. I think Dallin and and Ty set the narrative for the rest of the kids in the state. Last question is a hoops question to you, Rob. Is there anything outside of their talent level and prospective draft position that is indicating Springer and Johnson are both one and done? Any chance they see development under Barnes another year helping their NBA draft trajectory or stock? Seems like they both need to polish their games a bit more before making that jump, or is that just wishful thinking? It's wishful thinking. Every kid that leaves after what he's after his freshman year can benefit by staying another year. But what people don't think don't think about is how much do you, how much you're going to develop as a player when you're getting coached by a, a staff that you know has like eight or nine coaches. You don't have to go to class. All you do is play basketball you're going to develop a lot more and you're also going to get paid, you know, $1.8 million probably. No, I mean, yeah, it's wishful thinking. It's, there's no benefit to coming back as if, if you're talking about developing, it's you're going to develop more as a player at the NBA level, getting coached by an enormous coaching staff and not having to worry about anything except playing basketball. This basketball team takes on Auburn on Saturday at noon. We'll have full coverage of that. we got the war room tomorrow. There's also a pretty big recruiting decision coming up tomorrow afternoon as well. Just can't wait till it's over, baby. There'll be plen- can't wait till it's over. There'll be plenty of talk about that as well. But that's going to do it for this mailbag edition of the VolQuest.com podcast presented by Blue Water Climate Control for Austin Price and Rob Lewis. I'm and Brent Eric Hubs. O'Bannon from Bloodline. That's what Hubs looks like for those Bloodline fans out there. Nobody, I have no idea who that is. But now whatever. look at your Twitter. I just tweeted it. Thanks. I appreciate that. <laughs> All right. We're out the door on this mailbag edition of the podcast. Have a great Thursday, everybody.